The homilies or sermons contained in these podcasts were delivered by Deacon Joe Dietz, a permanent deacon serving at St. Edward Catholic Church in Ashland, Ohio, a parish of the Diocese of Cleveland. Each homily is preceded by a reading of the Gospel of the Day. All these homilies are the same in content as those preached. They have been recreated to improve the sound quality of the podcast. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to John. Jesus said to Nicodemus, Just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the desert, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, so that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, so that everyone who believes in him might not perish, but might have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him will not be condemned, but whoever does not believe has already been condemned, because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is the verdict, that the light came into the world, but people preferred darkness to light, because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light, and does not come toward the light, so that his works might not be exposed." But whoever lives the truth comes to the light, so that his works may be clearly seen as done in God. The Gospel of the Lord I'm not sure why. Maybe it's because we are getting close to the college basketball tournament. Maybe it's because Ashland University women's team hasn't lost a game in two years. But as I reviewed these readings, I started thinking about sports teams and fan behavior. You know the rules, mostly unwritten, that fans follow in the ways they do and don't support their teams. Now, if you're not a sports fan, you could apply this analogy to some other interest, the opera, the symphony. But whatever the interest may be, fans generally follow sets of accepted behavior for that group or face the wrath of their fellow fans. For example, it would not be considered acceptable for an Ohio State fan to wear maize and blue shirt, that's the colors of Michigan, by the way, if you don't know, to wear a maize and blue shirt to a game, even if every scarlet and gray item they had was in the wash. It would be frowned upon to fail to respond with a hearty I.O. to any other fan who shouted out O.H. However, classic football etiquette would not be acceptable at the opera, where the style of dress is much more formal where talking or making any noise whatsoever during a performance is absolutely not allowed, and all applause must await the playing of the last musical note. The adherence to these and the many other rituals and norms observed by true fans is often seen as a sign of the depth of their loyalty and support. In the case of an Ohio State fan, only the best truly bleed scarlet and gray. But how did these fans get there? I think there are two ways. One is they got taken along as they were growing up by parents or friends or older siblings and slowly got assumed into the culture. They may not have even liked the game, but they went along to get along, and slowly they developed at least a tolerance for it and learned the basic rules of being a fan. They didn't really care about the rules or understand why they mattered, but they went along for the most part in order to avoid rocking the boat. The second way 
is the person who just happened to attend one game. Somebody had an extra ticket or they wanted to see what all the fuss was about, but they got to one game. No matter how they got there, both groups found themselves at a game, either at the Shoe, which is the Ohio State Stadium, or perhaps in a great game venue, such as a local bar or maybe a game watch at someone's house. No matter where they were, during that game, they had an experience. The pageantry, the music, the cheering fans, the history, the competition, the shared victory or defeat, something touched them in a way that created a love of the experience. In the case of the opera, a person might have been moved by the music, the scenery, the story, or the artistry, and suddenly fell in love with the opera. Either group, then having had the experience, they started to embrace the rules. Because they were changed by the experience of the event, they now became interested in the team or the performers and started following them. They watched them on TV. They read the sports page and followed the players on Twitter. They bought a jersey or a shirt or maybe two or three. They looked for ways to attend more games. They planned their weekend around the TV broadcast. And before long, they were watching recruiting bulletins, waiting for the rankings to come out. They had learned that a Buckeye was actually something more than a piece of candy, and they quit saying the name of the state of Michigan entirely. The point I am making is that for the true fan, the experience transformed them, and the rules and the rituals followed. They didn't start following the rules as a means to appreciating the game. They fell in love with football or opera or whatever, and then their behavior change followed naturally from the love. Sometimes when we think about our faith, we can get confused as to which comes first, the rules or the love. In the gospel today, Jesus says that God so loved the world that he sent his son. He did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world might be saved through him. In our world today, anyone who talks about rules of behavior, certainly any faith-based guides for conduct, is quickly labeled in some negative fashion, a condemner, a hater, someone who wants to impose their will on others and infringe on their freedoms. But the experience of God is not meant to be achieved simply through the following of rules, any more than salvation is earned through good works. For it is by grace that we have been saved through faith, and it is, as Paul says, the gift of God through the passion, death, and resurrection of his Son, Jesus Christ. And it is the experience of this grace, this person of Jesus Christ, that transforms us and changes us from followers of the world into followers of Jesus. The experience of his power and his love that brings about the behavior change that follows the love. I think we all know that following the rules, no matter how good the rules are, becomes difficult without the inspiration, without the experience, without the encounter of the God who gave the rules. The point I'm trying to make is if we feel burdened 
or challenged by the guidelines of our faith. Maybe rather than working harder to follow the rules, we would be better served by pursuing the ongoing encounter with Jesus. The experience of His mercy and love bringing about the behavior change that follows the love. He was not sent to condemn, but to save. And we know that He wants this encounter because of one most wonderful, undeniable, irrefutable truth. This incredible God of the universe, this God of history, this God of creation, this Savior, Jesus Christ, gave himself not only on the cross, but in the Eucharist, body, blood, soul, and divinity. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Whoever eats this bread will live forever, and the bread that I will give is my flesh for the life of the world. He created a sacrament that went beyond a prayer for unity, beyond a revealed relationship in Scripture. He gave those who would come to believe in Him the gift of Himself in the most personal way imaginable, to be worshipped in His physical presence, consumed as food, and brought to those in need. Not once in a lifetime, not once in a year, but every day, at virtually every hour, limited only by our desire and proper disposition to receive Him. If Jesus is present in the Eucharist, and I assure you He is, then the God of the universe cares intimately about you and me. The most powerful force in existence cares enough to be continuously present in our churches and to enter us physically in communion. He cares personally and deeply for each and every one of us. This individual reception of the Eucharist can only mean Jesus wants to be personal, not distant, not removed, but available, present, intimate with each and every one of us. And because Jesus has chosen to be present in the Eucharist, it unbelievably becomes our choice and within our control whether we choose to visit Him, to adore Him, to receive Him. In His effort to seek the most personal relationship with each one of us, the Almighty Son of God makes Himself available to us at our choosing. It is this intimacy, this closeness, this undeniable proof of Jesus' love that enables each of us to hear His personal and individual call to follow Him, coming to the light so that our works may be clearly seen as done in God. Send questions or comments regarding this podcast to Deacon Joe 2017 at gmail.com.